gives you understanding and encouragement as well. So we three kings, also known as we three kings of Orient are, or the quest of the Magi. That's a Christmas carol, you know that. It was written by John Henry Hopkins in 1857. At that time of composing the carol, Hopkins served as the rector of Christ Episcopal Church in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and he wrote the carol for a Christmas pageant in New York City. And there are many versions of this particular carol. So he was an Anglican rector, an Anglican minister, and um, it's a carol that's become very popular, as you all know. Now, we're talking about the Meiji, um, usually translated as wise men, but in this context of the, the carol, it's probably more meaning an astrologer or an astronomer. So, just a few scriptures from Matthew 2, and of course also in Matthew 4, uh, Luke 4, we read about um, the angels, and in Matthew 2, we read about the wise men. So let me read a few scriptures, Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, verse 9, after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them and came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Um, obviously, when the shepherds came, Luke 4, they came to, whether it's a stable, whether it was a cave, whatever, um, we've been to uh, Bethlehem, and it's really, talk about plains, it's just hills, <laughs> hills and valleys, um, and there are probably, I don't know if there are hundreds, but there are many, many caves in the hillside, and we went into one of those caves, and it, it's, it would be as big or bigger than this room just inside. Um, and so, you know, shepherds would bring their sheep into places like that. So the, the wise men, or the astrologers, they came at a different time. When they came, then they went to a house. Well, Jesus was born in a stable, a cave, whatever it was. Um, uh, so obviously this was a later time than the actual uh, moment of time of birth. But Psalm 72, let's read a few verses from Psalm 72, uh, verse 8 to 11. May he also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, that the nomads of the desert bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. That the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents, the kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts, and that all the kings bow down before him and all the nations serve him. Interesting passage in Isaiah chapter 60. What is it, Isaiah? It's Isaiah. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who thinks it's Isaiah? Isaiah? <laughs> and quite a few are Isaiah. <laughs> um, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, let your, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. A multitude of camels will cover you, 
The young camels of Midian and Ephah, and, and those all those from Sheba come, and they will bring gold and frankincense, and they will be good news in the praises of the Lord. It was spoken and it was fulfilled 700 years later. Well, to this book, the Book of Mysteries, I won't actually use the book, but I've, I've got the uh, uh, passages copied here from this. The House of Bread, this is day 34. Um, the context of this tourist is wandering through the, the Middle East of Israel, meets a teacher who has a one-year Bible school, talks to him, where are you going? I'm just sort of wandering around, come to the Bible school. So a number of students are in this Bible school and many of the lessons are given one-to-one. So that's why it appears like the teacher speaking to one student, sometimes they would talk together. It was a mystery that had added had had the added benefit of a midday snack. We were sitting on the desert sand, and the teacher offered me some bread, which I accepted. Lechem, he said, it's Hebrew for bread. The word is used in Jewish prayers to represent food and sustenance. Why do you think bread is so important? Because it's the start of life. It's, it's a basic necessity. It sustains us. It keeps us alive. It's what we need. That's correct, he said. In Hebrew, the word for place or house is beer. And when you put beer together with lechem, you get beer lechem, which would mean the place of bread or the house of bread. And what would you expect to find in the house of bread? Bread, of course. You'd expect to find bread, the start of life, in the house of bread. You'd expect to find that which sustains you, what you need above all things. I don't understand only because you don't recognize it yet. Recognize what? Beget Lechem, the house of bread. You already know it, it's Bethlehem. Bethlehem, I said, the house of bread. And so it's where, there, that we find the bread, that which we need most, that which sustains us, our most basic necessity, the start of life in Bethlehem. Yes, said the teacher. So if what we get most was money, if money was the bread of our lives, then we'd find it a Bethlehem, the house of bread, which would be money. If what we most needed was success, then we'd find success there. Or if it was acceptance, or pleasures, or substances, or careers, or possessions, or any other thing we desire, if any of these were what we needed most, then that's what we would have found in Bethlehem. But we didn't find any of those things there. What is it that we find in Bethlehem? Him. Yes, him. We find God come down into our lives. So what does that reveal? The more than anything else, we need him. Yes, what we find in the house of bread is the bread of life. Did um, anyone know what this is in there before I read that? Anyone? Okay, good. Two. Okay. What is Bethel? What is Bethel? That's house of God. I think the priest. Okay, let me go now to day 85, the mystery of Ephrata. We sat around a low wooden table on which rested an oil <coughs> a metal goblet, and a plate with two pieces of matzo, unleavened bread. Every Passover said, said the teacher, has these two elements, the bread and the wine, 
So too at the Last Supper, Messiah's last Passover on earth. He then lifted up the plate with the unleavened bread. In Hebrew, the word for bread is lechem. Messiah took the bread and then said an ancient Hebrew blessing that gives thanks for lechem. The teacher then recited the Hebrew blessing and we partook of the bread together. Then said the teacher, Messiah took the cup and gave thanks. He said the ancient Hebrew blessing over the peri hagatan, the fruit of the vine, then gave the cup to his disciples as a symbol of his blood. The teacher then recited the Hebrew blessing over the cup and we partook. The two elements, said the teacher, the bread and the fruit of the vine, the lechem and the peri, the lechem representing his body and the peri representing his blood. And now a question. When was his body and blood first revealed? When did he first appear in flesh and blood? At the nativity, I said, in Bethlehem. And what is Bethlehem? Bethlehem means the place of lechem, the house of bread. So the place of this birth, where he first appeared in bodily form, contains the same word. He spoke over the bread that represented his body, Lechem, Bethlehem. But Bethlehem has another name, said the teacher. It was also called Ephrata. Bethlehem, Ephrata. Do you know where Ephrata comes from? It comes from the same word from which we get Peri, the same word. He spoke over the cup that represented his blood. So the place of his birth, where he first appeared in flesh and blood, contains the same word he spoke over the wine that represented his blood. So the place where Messiah first appeared in flesh and blood bears the name of the symbols of his flesh and blood, Bethlehem Ephrata, the bread and the fruit of the vine. It was all there from the beginning. Yes, said the teacher, as his death was there from his birth, for the sacrifice comes to be sacrificed, so he lived his life as a gift to be given the sacrifice of love. Let us do likewise. Isn't that interesting? So interesting. Well, the Magi. Uh, we are told, we three kings, well, there's no mention of three kings in, in the scriptures. Uh, and so this, you know, okay, we three kings are worried about, and there could have been many of these scrolls. We don't know. Uh, but it is said because there were three um, mentioned by through, through legend and based on tradition uh, called Melchor, uh, Casper, and Valhazard. But these are just legends. Alright? So we may not have been three kids, but we know that there were three gifts or mentioned there, so that's why we, we see that we three kings. And the, the Magus uh, were a member of a priestly caste of ancient Persia, which we know as Iran today, priests of an ancient religion called Zoroastrianism, one of the many pagan religions. Well, back to this amazing journey, day 108. He led me to a room known as the Chamber of Vessels. There he retrieved a small wooden box from which he removed an intricately adorned metal container. Inside the container was a white powder. Frankincense, said the teacher, one of the gifts of the lady. Who exactly were the Magi, I asked. A priest of an ancient Persian, Persian religion called Zoroastrianism, one of the many pagan religions, stargazers who followed one particular star in their search to find the newborn king of the Jews. But how did they know for sure where Messiah was born? Uh, no one knows, it certainly said. It's a mystery. 
They only had shadows to go on, glimpses, hints, traces, longings, and the stars. But they were seeking for the truth as best they could. They had no idea where it would all take them. They just followed the star step by step, knowing only that the next step and nothing else. Yet they ended up finding him. And they had no idea what was written in an ancient prophecy about Messiah, about them. Seven centuries before they arrived in Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah prophesied of Messiah's coming to Israel. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, and the Gentiles will come to your light. <clears throat> and a multitude of camels will cover your land, and they will bring gold and frankincense. Gold and frankincense, those were the gifts of the maiden. A prophecy of Gentiles coming to Israel in light of Messiah's coming and bearing gifts as they came. A prophecy that waited over 700 years to be fulfilled. And the Magi had no idea. They were only seeking to follow God's will as if walking in the dark, step by step, and yet they ended up fulfilling their appointed destiny, ordained and foretold for hundreds of years. Learn their secrets, said the teacher. You don't have to know all the lies ahead of you. You never will. But set your heart on seeking his presence and his will, doing what you know is right, taking the next step and the next, and you'll end up in the place appointed for your life, even from ancient times, even from the beginning. The glory at the end of the Magian journey. Interesting, isn't it? I find it. Well, so there's the wise men or kings, whatever. Uh, then there is the person mentioned in the story um, of the coming of Jesus, Herod Antipas. And he was born in 21 BC and died in AD 39, son of Herod the Great. He was tetrarch of Galilee and Berea, and he ruled throughout Jesus of Nazareth's ministry. About 4 BC, Antipas inherited part of his father's kingdom. He divorced his wife to marry Herodias, formerly the wife of his half-brother Herod Archelaus. Herodias goaded her husband into imprisoning John the Baptist and then encouraged her daughter Salome to ask for John the Baptist's head in return for dancing at his stepfather's birthdays. Well, the Edomenian mystery. This is day 184. We were looking at an old volume of the Chamber of Books and specifically at an image, a lithograph of the Magi standing before King Herod. Most people have heard of King Herod, said the teacher, how he slaughtered the children of Bethlehem in his attempt to kill the Messiah. But there's more to the story, a mystery that begins ages before. With that, he turned his gaze away from the image in the book and paused. When Isaac blessed his son Jacob, he told him that he would have dominion over his brothers and then would bow down before him. But when Isaac blessed Esau, he told him that he would live by the sword and under the dominion of his brother Jacob. Esau was so filled with rage that he plotted Jacob to death. But what happened to Jacob? Who were his descendants? The Jewish people, Israel. And what about Esau? Esau also had descendants. They were called the Edomites. And because and became the nation of Edom, Isaiah's prophecy would come true. Esau's children, the Edomites, would live under the dominion of Israel, under the children of Jacob. In the days of the Roman Empire, they would be called the Edomites. But it was then that something strange happened. And Edomite became the king of Israel, 
a child of Esau ruled over the children of Jacob. And the child of Esau was Herod, said the teacher. King Herod was the child of Esau. It was the ancient battle, Esau warring over the birthright and the blessing and seeking to have dominion over Jacob. But then another extraordinary thing happened. Messiah was born. Messiah was the child of Jacob. And with the true birthright and the true blessing of dominion and lordship. So we have two kings, the true and the false, Esau and Jacob, Herod and Messiah. And just as Esau plotted to kill Jacob, so Herod, the son of Esau, plotted to kill Messiah, the son of Jacob. Behind it all was the ancient mystery. But what does the medium, uh, mystery tell you? It is crucial that we receive the blessing. Without it, we spend our whole life reacting to and trying to compensate for its absence. Whatever you didn't receive in this world no longer matters. Receive now from your heavenly Father and your blessing and your birthright. For if Messiah is your king, you are of the kingdom of Jacob, the kingdom of those who have received the blessing, the kingdom of the blessed. Well, this star. There are <coughs> definitions to the star. I really can't go into them this morning, but uh, it is referred to as the planetary conjunction, an astronomical event where Jupiter and Saturn were in triple conjunction in the constellation of Pisces. Talks about could be a comet, <coughs> talks about being a supernova or a hypernova um, occurring in the nearby Andromeda, Andromeda galaxy. Talks about hel heliacal rising, a double oscillation. Uh, celestial signs involving Jupiter's annual cycle to do with regulars, Jupiter and Venus. So there's all sorts of stuff we could go into. I remember years ago seeing a, a, a video of a, a guy, a preacher, talking about the star. And someone had invented a, um, a computer program that enabled, enabled us to go right back to the beginning. We're like going back hundreds of years right back to the time of Jesus. And it's on the screen in, in this video that we saw. It was just absolutely amazing. Uh, the lineup, and uh, this teacher taught us, showed us the lineup of the stars of that particular time, things that we wouldn't perhaps appreciate today. Uh, it was quite quite amazing, but I don't think I have that, we have that video anymore, and I can't speak with authority about it. But we do know that it was a star. And obviously there was something happening in the heavens that these astronomers uh, saw and with the understanding they had, they sought to follow that star. But then we read of that star coming over the place where Jesus was. So obviously it wasn't something way, way, way up in the heavens at that time. It was something that came right down, like over this, this hall. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't understand that. But we had this carol, We Three Kings of Orient Day. Uh, seeking for him. Christ child. It's nice to have Jesus in the safety of a little manger, isn't it? He's a non-threat little baby in a non-prison. And we can look year after year and remind ourselves about the babe, which we do as a society, but we forget many of us, or most of us, that he is now the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And we see that at the Father's right hand, where he's waiting for that word to come to return to planet Earth and to set up his kingdom and to judge the nations and so on. But seeking for him, 
following yonder star, and yielding to him. Born again, gold I bring to crown him again. We are to yield to this one as king, and giving to him frankincense to offer I have. And of course, Jesus wants more than just gifts like that. He wants our life to be given to him. A worshiping him. The Carol speaks about prayer and praising and, and worshiping him. Acknowledging his death. Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying. But also proclaiming his resurrection. Glorious now, behold him arise. So if we are wise men and women, we will be seeking for him, yielding to him day by day, giving to him, worshipping him, acknowledging his death, but proclaiming his resurrection. Just a couple more thoughts here. Uh, the final reading from the Book of Mysteries, day one to five, the temple lambs. It was a moonlight night, bright enough to light up the tent camp in the valley below us. But our attention wasn't on the camp, but on the other side of the valley where a shepherd was tending his flock at night. The sacrificial lambs offered up in the temple, from where did they come? asked the teacher. I would think that they were raised in Israel for that purpose, I replied. They were, he said. In the writings of the ancient rabbis, it is recorded that in the days of the second temple, the only place where one could shepherd a flock was in the wilderness. But there was one exception. The flocks or lambs that were specifically appointed and destined for the temple sacrifices were sacrificial lambs. They needed to be kept in close proximity to the holy city. There was in the days of the second temple one particular region of Israel, not of the wilderness, but of hills and valleys, conducive to sheep and known for its flocks and shepherds. The scriptures specifically cited as a place where flocks of sheep were kept in the days of Messiah. And it happened to be in close proximity to Jerusalem where the sacrifices were offered. Thus it is undoubtedly where the lambs for the temple sacrifices were raised. What, is it, what was it called? It was called Bethlehem. Bethlehem, I repeat it. So that's why, that's why Messiah was born in Bethlehem. The Lamb of God was born in the place where the lambs were born while shepherds watched their flocks by night. And not just in the place of the lambs, but in the place of the sacrificial lambs, where the lambs destined to be offered up in the temple of Jerusalem as sacrifices to God were born. And that's why the first ones to see him in this world were the shepherds, I said, because when a lamb is born, the shepherds attend its birth. And not just shepherds, said the teacher, but the shepherds of Bethlehem, the shepherds who attended the birth of the sacrificial lambs. So the Lamb of God was born among the sacrificial lambs for the same reason, to be sacrificed in Jerusalem. The mystery was there from the beginning, from his birth. The entire purpose of his life was to give himself, to give his life as a gift of sacrificial love for us. His entire life, even from the moment of his birth, was love. Isn't that interesting? I think it's amazing. I get excited when I read the stories day after day after day. So you may want to go to the Christian bookstore in Nano, and but they normally have these copies on hand, or you can just download it if you have a Kindle with it, and download it almost instantly. The Book of Mysteries, Thomas and Carl. Well, uh, a final story. Some years ago, when Shirley and I lived in New Zealand, 
um, at Christmas time, and we were part of an evangelistic organization, international, and um, I remember this time we were in the South Island of New Zealand visiting trailer parks. We would have one night meetings, sometimes we would stay for a few nights, and gather people and have family times, and do singing and testimonies, and show secular movie, and then a Christian movie. Um, and we were in the town of Queenstown, which is down in the South Island, amidst the, uh, the mountains and this beautiful big lake. And we had, we were living just at the foot of the Remarkables, which is a, a, a long line of snow-clad mountains. We were there and we would come into Queensland, it's a small community, and we, we had a meeting, particularly night, right on the lakefront. We were just to be there for one night, we were going to move on elsewhere. And our theme that night was the love of God. And we were all evangelists, all the full-time ministry, we all played instruments, trumpet, saxophone, and so on and so on, singing. And so we, we preached on the love of God and then gave the normal challenge for people to give their lives to Jesus. And then we drove back out of town to this country place and then we, we were restrained. We were meant to move on the next day to another trailer park, but I felt that we needed to go back to that same location the second night. So I shared it with the other guys and we, we prayed about it and we all felt that we should do that. So Instead of moving on elsewhere, we went back into Queenstown that night on the lake, and the theme that night was the judgment of God. Bringing the balance, the love of God, the judgment of God. And we played our instruments, and we gave testimonies, and we preached, and um, we didn't show any movie that particular night because of the location. And then we gave a challenge for people to give their lives to the Lord, and among those that responded was a young boy about 12 years of age. And I had the privilege of talking to him. He was uh, a member or he attended a Presbyterian church. So he was regularly involved in church. And uh, he said, I want to give my life to Jesus. He said, I was here last night. As you spoke of the thing about the love of God, he said, uh, my heart was touched and, and, and I went home. And I had a dream. Now he was on holiday, you know maybe in a tent or a trailer. He said, I, I had a dream, and, and God said to me, I want to come into your heart. He said, when I woke up this morning, I, I went to my parents, I said, is there anything I can do to help you today? Like, you know, can I go to the shop? Or, I mean, something had happened inside through that encounter in the night, and he was wanting to serve, he was wanting to help his parents. And he said, and then you came back the second night, so I, I want to give my life to Jesus. And so I just shared briefly the fact that what Jesus did, he came to die, the importance of his death and his resurrection, that he was alive today, and we were to yield our lives to him, surrender to him. Not living for ourselves anymore, but putting Jesus first in our lives. And then he prayed a beautiful prayer. A prayer I've never heard anyone pray spontaneously as he did. And I've taken some of that prayer and I use it often when I'm talking to people about giving their life to Jesus. You see, Jesus is no longer a babe. He's alive. He's at the Father's right hand. Excuse me. <coughs> He's at the Father's right hand. He is Lord. He's coming again as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
and we can know him in a personal way, not just as a baby, but as the Lord of our lives. And so this young boy prayed this beautiful prayer spontaneously, asking God to forgive him his sins. And then he said, Lord Jesus, I welcome you into my heart. Oh, what beautiful words. I never told him to say that. Lord Jesus, I welcome you into my heart. The one we celebrate his birth at this Christmas time, the one who has helped us lying in the manger, is no longer a helpless face. He is at the Father's right hand. He is the King of all kings. He was the one that spoke the word that brought this whole universe into being. He is the one who upholds this entire universe by the word of his power. He is so mighty, and yet he is so loving and so concerned about mankind. He came to die. He was born in the land of God, among the, in the place where the lambs, the sacrificial lambs were born. In the house of bread, in the house of the, 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 the cup, the fruit of the vine. He came to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament, and fulfilled them perfectly. He was the lamb without blemish, but he's alive today, and his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to deal with the sins of everybody who will come to God, confess and turn from their sins and welcome Jesus into their life and start a whole new way of living and thinking as we put him first in our lives. So at this Christmas time, I bring the challenge. Do we know God personally? And we say, I know that my sins are forgiven. Are we desirous of knowing Jesus? Are we desirous of yielding our lives to him and to follow him wholeheartedly? But if we don't, and we want to, as the old song says, he's only a prayer away. And you could lift your heart to God in prayer today and say, Oh God, please forgive me all my sins. Jesus, I welcome you into my heart. Such a simple prayer, but so impact, so incredible. It brings transformation in our lives. Let's just pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Christmas season where we remember. Again, the coming of Jesus, your son, born in the house of bread. He is the bread of life. We thank you for what we heard this morning about the wonderful biblical truths, the fulfillment of the prophecy in regard to the coming of the Messiah. But Father, we thank you too that Jesus is very much alive today. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is Lord of the realm under the earth. And he's coming again back very, very soon. Oh, Lord, thank you. We look forward to his coming, those of us who know him. But, Lord, what a terrible day it will be for those who don't know him. Oh, God, oh, God. You know our hearts today, and you desire to be in a right relationship with you. And, Lord, for any of us here today who don't know the forgiveness of sins, that not receive the gift of eternal life. Help us to take that all-important step today. That step that will be the beginning of a whole new way of living. Uh, a step that leads us into a personal relationship with you, where we are forgiven, where we are reconciled to you, where a new life begins. Help us to pray that simple prayer from our hearts, asking you to forgive us and welcome Jesus.
and your allies is our Lord, is our King, is our Master. Thank you, thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.